0: Hi, I'm Charles Christoph Carter.
1: And I'm his mom, Ellen Carter. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of Serial Dreadfuls, your place to find original content covering everything from dark historical fiction to science fiction, horror, adventure, and the supernatural.
0: If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast provider of choice, thank you. In our last episode, Judith Dalton's death was weighing heavily on Joe's mind, causing him to retrace her steps in an attempt to get a lead on her killer's identity. Faced with an ever-increasing number of unexplained gruesome murders in what had always been a sleepy, relatively peaceful town, Joe found himself haunted and troubled by memories from his former life as a city detective. Out of nowhere, as if conjured by his recollections of the past, Joe's former partner showed up unannounced at the station house. Now, without further ado, the next episode of Yard Work, written by Charles and Ellen Carter, narrated by Ellen Carter. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Joe watched Jared look around the room. "'Your office sure beats the squad room.' Joe noticed a wince of pain pass across Jared's face as he sat down in the chair across the desk from him and readjusted the sling. Jared sighed. "'Look, Joe, I'm sorry for dropping in on you like this, but I really had to get out of the city, and I needed to see you. As I was driving in, I saw a motel on the edge of town. I stopped and got a room. "'Jared, you can stay with me. I got plenty of room. I know that, Joe.' but I'm thinking of sticking around for at least two weeks. I've found that guests are like fish. After three days, they start to stink. Joe laughed and shook his head. If you think you'd feel more comfortable in a place of your own, I know someone who has a furnished cottage for rent on the edge of town. It's winterized, so you'd have heat. I don't know if she's rented it out yet or not, but I can call her and find out. What do you say? I can tell you it would beat the hell out of that motel room. Jared paused for a moment, nodded his head slowly and smiled. "'Fair enough, Joe. Thanks. "'I hope you're hungry, Jared,' Joe said as he and Jared climbed into the SUV. "'You mean you finally learned to cook?' Jared quipped sarcastically. "'Very funny. I've gotten better, but I thought I'd give you a break since it's your first night here "'and take you out to dinner. It's on me. "'Joe, now I'm nervous.' I remember the last time you decided to pay for dinner. I never did quite figure out if they'd cleaned those crabs before they stuffed them. I still get nauseous just thinking about them, Jared said with a feigned groan. Still a smartass, Joe said laughing. Don't worry, the food is good at the inn. Okay, I'm game, Jared replied with a smirk. Buckle up, we enforce our seatbelt laws in this town. Jared reached for the passenger's seat belt with his right hand, but stopped midway across his body. He tried to twist his torso to secure the buckle, but it didn't work. He stopped and tried again, this time holding the belt down with his chin, twisting his torso, and pulling with his right hand. The result was the same. Need some help? Joe asked calmly. Jared looked at the belt. Yeah, I guess I do. Jared pulled the belt as far as he could across his body and handed the buckle off to Joe, who fastened it securely into the catch. Jared fell back against the seat in frustration, adjusting the belt to avoid pressure against the sling. He glanced at Joe to see if he'd noticed how much not being able to do something as simple as buckling his seat belt had bothered him. If Joe had noticed, it didn't show on his face but then Joe had always been a very good poker player. He forced himself to think of something to say, something to break the awkward silence, but Joe beat him to it. You know that phone call I made in the office? Yes, business, right? In a way, yes. There are two very interesting young ladies joining us for dinner. I'm going to introduce you, but one of them is already spoken for. I'm only telling you this ahead of time, so you won't make a pass at my girl, Joe said with a smile. Maybe you'd better tell me what she looks like so I won't make that mistake. Anne will be the one with the dark hair and green eyes, Joe replied. Even though they hadn't seen each other in three years, he sensed Anne was someone very special to Joe. He didn't need to have Joe spell that out. Sounds like you found your soulmate. Are you talking about church bells here, the big M? Jared caught Joe glancing sideways at him. He watched as Joe raised one eyebrow but didn't respond. I'm almost afraid to ask what the other one looks like, Jared said, staring through the windshield, trying to catch Joe's expression with his peripheral vision. You'll just have to wait. Trust me, I don't want to spoil the surprise. But I'll tell you her name. It's Laura, Joe said and laughed. The last time I trusted you... Joe interrupted before Jared could finish his statement. ''Must I remind you that you were entertaining the idea of marrying Gail?'' Joe quipped. ''Yeah, but luckily we both came to our senses. It wasn't going to work on a lot of different levels,'' Jared said, looking down at his injured arm. He took his right hand and began to move first the fingers of his left hand and then the left hand itself performing one of the exercises his therapist had trained him to do. You feel like talking about it? Joe asked, nodding at Jared's left arm. Jared continued to move his left hand slowly back and forth. I was in the right place at the wrong time. It was late. I was in a deli getting a sandwich when two assholes came in to rob the place. They pulled guns. You know how it goes. Nobody move, hands up. One of the perps trained his gun on the owner. The other one was brandishing his gun at the few customers at the counter. I was one of them. The owner's wife suddenly came out of the back and realized what was going on. She looked straight at me and screamed, You're a cop? Help us! That's when everything went south, fast. The first perp pulled the trigger and shot the deli owner. The owner's wife started screaming. People started running. I pulled my weapon. The second perp turned, fired, and hit me in the chest. Luckily, I was wearing my vest. I fired back, hitting him, and he went down. When the first perp caught sight of its dead partner on the floor, he fired at me twice. I heard one bullet whiz past my ear. The second bullet struck me in my shoulder. The impact sent me flying backwards over a display of canned goods. I got off two more shots as the first perp fled, but they went wild and hit the wall. What are the doctors saying? The shot that hit me square in my vest just gave me a really bad muscle bruise in my chest. But the bullet wound to my shoulder was a different situation. I got a second, hell, I even got a third opinion, and they're all saying about the same thing. The impact of the bullet damaged the nerves going to my left arm, so I don't have the use of my arm or hand. For the last three weeks, I've been doing physical therapy. They're waiting to see if the nerves will recover from the impact. If not, then they said they'd have to go in and perform microsurgery to suture them back together. And that's where the possible problem arises. They told me if they go in and the axillary artery has been damaged, they'll have to amputate my arm. Of course, I could decide not to go through with the surgery, but then my arm and hand would be of no use to me. How long do you have before you have to make the decision? All the doctors said the same thing, as soon as possible. I asked for a couple of weeks to get my head together. Truthfully, Jared said, sitting back in his seat, leaning his head back against the headrest, glancing up at the inside roof of the vehicle. The reason I'm here is because I need someone to talk to, someone whose opinion I respect. Then I guess I can make a decision about where I'm going to go from there. Jared hoped that Joe couldn't hear the anger and the fear, or what he perceived as a trace of self-pity in his voice. After a long silence, Joe said, I can't even imagine how you're dealing with all of this. Jared looked out the passenger's window. Joe, I don't want to make a big deal out of this, he replied. But it is a big deal. You need to figure things out. And if you need more time, then you're going to call those doctors and tell them so, because we're talking about the rest of your life and the quality of your life. And if you do have the surgery, I'm going to be there, because I'm going to be the first one to shake your hand when you wake up. Jared nodded. Suddenly, he saw something out of the corner of his eye. Joe! Joe must have seen it, too, because he broke hard. The headlights revealed a large swirling curtain of leaves sweeping across the road, like sheets of heavy wind-blown rain blocking out the streetlights. Both men were thrown forward with some force by the sudden braking. "'What the hell is that?' Jared asked, grimacing from the sudden pain in his shoulder as he was thrown forward against the seat belt. He watched as the leaves rushed past the vehicle and into a nearby field before falling to the ground. "'I didn't realize the wind was blowing that hard,' Jared said. "'It's not,' Joe replied." Thursday was usually a slow night for the Meriwether Inn, but tonight was different. The lot was full. It was hard to find a spot to park. As Joe and Jared walked toward the restaurant, an older couple exited the brightly lit main entrance. Jared watched as the couple drew near. Good evening, Sheriff, the woman replied curtly. Mrs. Davis? Mr. Davis? Joe replied with a nod of acknowledgment. Huh the old man said with an air of disgust as he took his wife's arm and steered her toward the parking lot. Friendly people you have in your little town, Joe, Jared said, clutching his light jacket near the collar and hunching one shoulder against the cold. I'm sure they're going to get even friendlier, Joe remarked sarcastically, a bit of a frown on his face as he held one large oak door open for Jared. Perplexed by Joe's cryptic remark, Jared puzzled over what it meant as they entered the building. Why don't you let me have your jacket, Jared? Joe asked as he slipped out of his coat and hung it on the coat rack by the front entrance. Jared handed him his jacket, and Joe squeezed it in next to his. I don't think I've ever seen this place this busy on a Thursday night, Joe said with a puzzled look on his face. Anne looked up and saw Joe glancing around the room. She waved to him. He smiled at her, turned, and spoke with someone standing on the other side of the coat rack. I don't know how you talk me into this, Anne, Laura whispered. Anne leaned forward and placed her hand over Laura's. Laura, why don't you relax? It's just a friend of Joe's, his former partner from the Force. It's just dinner and conversation. Laura took a deep breath, let it out slowly, and nodded her head. Okay, Anne, she said, her brows furrowed. Anne was curious about Joe's friend. He had mentioned Jared often. Whenever Joe told stories about his work in the city, Jared's name always came up. There had been a couple of stories that Joe had told her about, some tough scrapes they'd gotten into. There were a few times when he had started to say something about what they had done, and then he had stopped. Those stories he had not told her, and they never went further than that. He had just stared off into the distance with a slight smile on his face. She waited now for this friend of Joe's to move into the soft light of the dining room, curious about how he would look. She glanced sideways at Laura, who seemed just as curious as she was. Anne studied the diners as Joe made his way toward their table. They were giving the man who followed Joe across the dining room floor quick, furtive glances. One woman nudged her husband in his side making him look up from the menu that he was perusing. Three older women at the next table leaned forward, exchanging whispers and nods as the two men passed by. The man trailing Joe was taller by at least two inches. Where Joe had a husky build, this man's build was leaner, but definitely just as muscular. He had dark, close-cropped hair and a handsome face. He wasn't the darkest black man she'd seen. His complexion was more of a light chocolate. People's reaction to his presence was anything but subtle. It wasn't that a black person had never come to Grover's Notch. It was that a black person was an infrequent sight for these people. The first time that she could remember seeing a black person in Grover's Notch was when she was a child. She was 11. Of course, she had seen black people on television, on the news, but this was the first time that she'd ever seen one in person. This black man had come up with a group of hunters from Connecticut. They'd rented the cane hunting camp out east on Church Road. She had come to town with her mother to do some shopping. As she climbed out of the car, she had noticed people walking down the street, looking back over their shoulders, staring at someone. Not unlike the reaction of people in the dining room tonight. She turned and saw a black man standing next to the post office. Wanting to get a better look at the man, she told her mother that she had to go to the post office to get some stamps for some letters she had to send out. She crossed the street. She was frightened but curious. She was determined to walk past him. She wasn't going to say anything, just walk past him. As she drew close to him, she glanced furtively in his direction. She was doing it. She was actually within just a few feet of him. She continued to walk, holding her breath a little as she did so, a bit nervous and excited at the same time. Just as she was about to pass him, he called to her. Excuse me, uh, could you tell me where the drugstore is? He asked in a slow, deep draw. She stopped, but she didn't respond. She couldn't. She was too surprised. She looked up at him, her face turning red, her mouth open slightly to respond, but no words came. He asked again, this time with a hint of gentleness to his deep voice. I'm just looking for the drugstore, little lady. Could you tell me where it is? Finally, the words came. It's just two blocks down on your right, sir, she replied politely. And he gave her this great big smile. His whole face lit up, and he nodded his head politely. Thank you, little miss. You have a nice day now, you hear She had smiled weakly and nodded back at him and watched as he turned and moved off down the street in the direction of the drugstore. Her mother had run across the street and reached her just as the man was walking away. Anne, what did that man say to you? He just wanted to know where the drugstore was, Mother, so I told him. Anne, I don't want you talking to any strangers. Do you understand? It's not safe. You could get hurt. Do you understand me? She remembered the look on her mother's face. It wasn't concern. It was fear. That confused her. The man had given her no reason to be afraid of him, and she wasn't. But her mother was. Anne asked her mother to explain why, but she wouldn't or couldn't. Anne wasn't sure which. She just told Anne that she didn't want her talking to strange men. Anne thought to herself, Is it strange men? or strange black men? Which was it? The incident was mostly forgotten, conjured up only infrequently when sightings of black men passing through town with other hunters would trigger its resurrection. Anne stared at Laura. The furrowed brows had relaxed just a bit. Laura looked perplexed. Anne watched as her friend stared at the men approaching their table. Joe and Jared reached the table, and Joe leaned down and gave Anne a quick hug and a little kiss. Thanks for getting Laura to come, he whispered in Anne's ear. Joe straightened up. Anne, this is Jared Ross. Anne leaned forward across the table, her right hand extended. I've heard so much about you. It's so nice to finally meet you, Anne said with a smile. Jared shook her hand and smiled back. I hope whatever you heard was nice. Anne smiled again most of it. Jared looked at Joe, his smile broader now, as he shook his head back and forth as if in disbelief. Anne realized the connection immediately between the first black man she had met so many years ago as a child and this close friend of Joe's. It was the smile, so genuine, so warm, so totally disarming. Jared, this is my friend Laura, Joe said. Jared nodded. They smiled at each other and shook hands. The two men sat down.
0: And now, a preview of our next episode. While dining at the Merryweather Inn, Jared Ross is not the only one shocked by their waitress's questions regarding key confidential details of the murders up at Mirror Lake. So were Joe and all the other diners with an earshot of her voice. How is Joe going to handle this news being spread to the already nervous townsfolk? Who's the one leaking the information? Is it someone in his department? Please consider joining our Patreon site and becoming a dreadnought For only $3 a month, our Dreadnoughts get early access to free episodes, exclusive periodic commentary by the authors of the books and the creators of the podcast, exclusive access to episodes of the second half of each book as those episodes are released, and access to the entire back catalog of episodes as our podcast goes forward. Click the link in the show description now to become a dreadnought and aid in the conversion of the uninitiated masses.